0: be patient <laughs> technology well I got the button push now just to get it on my belt Phil up this is my wife who reluctantly agreed to help me but uh, we do everything together it seems for the last 39 years You'd be surprised how many yarn shops I've been to <laughs> very nice to see you here uh, two weeks ago I wasn't here because I was picking up our daughter and her husband and our two grandsons from the airport, they have never been to visit us. They live in Colorado. So uh, we were really happy to see a three-year-old Judah and a one-year-old Keller. And we had a nice visit for three days. And then on Thursday, I had to drive them back to Midway, which I discovered at 7:30 in the morning is an hour and a half drive, often at two miles an hour. And uh, we got there, and on the way home, I, f- I remembered that uh, you know, late in the morning, I start to poop out, I get hungry, which is good news for you. <laughs> because) By 11.30, we should be out of here. Uh, But at least in time for the parade, that's at 1 o'clock, so you you shouldn't miss that. So on the way home, I got the bright idea. I think I'm going to stop at the Hinsdale Oasis because I could get... One thing, I could avoid the traffic, rest a little bit, get some refreshment, get myself some energy... And so I stopped at the Oasis. That was a great idea. And while I was there, I saw about 30 high school students. And all of a sudden, I heard their leader say, let's go. And they all gather around, and they started to head out. And then I noticed his T-shirt. It said, walk by faith. You know, it's amazing what those 30 kids could do if they walked out into the world and lived by faith. Just amazing. Well, so what? I got to thinking that ABC, Alliance Bible Church, is one of God's oases. You come here because you're tired. You you come here because Jesus is the host. And he says, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He even says that to Lionel. Good to see you, Lionel. Coming home, stopping at the oasis here. you come to the Oasis for energy, for encouragement, for inspiration, uh, for one anothering, as Jim Smith talked about a couple weeks ago. You come here because it helps you to turn your worries into worship, like Pastor Don talked about last week. You come here to get strength, as the deer pins for streams of water. So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Here we are encouraged to delight in the word of God. We are encouraged to meditate on it day and night so that we will be like trees, trees at the oasis, planted by streams of water yielding its fruit in season, whose leaf Does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, right now at ABC, we're in a season of self examination, of evaluation, Uh, thinking about this transition we're in. We're thinking about do we need to remodel our oasis? Do we need to update it, bring it into the 21st century without losing its God-given purpose? So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for being my friend for many, many years. And I thank you for being a friend to all who have gathered here. I am sorry that I'm not always a good friend, but I thank you for being faithful. And I ask you to help me to communicate this morning the things you've been talking to me about. And help me not to distort any of it. And if I add in things that are not pleasing to you, just help them sail right over the heads of these people here. But if I am speaking your thoughts, then I pray you'll help them to be receptive. Help them to take your thoughts home with them and meditate on them and consider them We thank you not only for being our friend, but for being the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our all-powerful God. And we want to honor you this morning in Jesus' name. I want to quickly, first of all, give you some snapshots of some biblical oases. So the first one is the first one. The first oasis in the Bible, of course, we we know as Eden. And we all know what happened at Eden. Eve said, I did it my way. And Adam said, anything you can do, I can do better. (laughs) And that's the story of the first oasis. And ever since, we have not had a perfect oasis then if you skip to Genesis 24 you'll find Abraham sending his servant to find a wife for Isaac and the servant went to an oasis and when he got there he prayed and Doreen's going to read the prayer.
1: Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one of whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. But this I shall know, that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied the water from her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not.
0: I'm not into romance novels, but isn't that sort of romantic? (laughs) Uh, Just a side comment, uh, John Mark, that an oasis, meaning a church, is a good place to meet a good godly woman. (laughs) However, if we jump ahead, maybe it's 20 years. Oh, sorry about this. If we jump ahead, maybe 20 years, Isaac now is old, and he can't see too well. And this beautiful, kind, thoughtful wife that he has, Rebecca, schemes and lies and teaches his son, her son, how to lie so that Jacob can have the blessing that should have gone to Esau not such a sweet lady after all. And then one more oasis. By the way, uh, the Bible doesn't have the word oasis in it, as far as I know. So I'm sort of making this up, but I figure wherever people are gathering, there's probably water, shade, some fertile ground. So I'll call them oases. Uh, The next one, I want to mention is Genesis 20, 37 when jo- uh, Jacob's ten sons who are very jealous of their younger brother Joseph decide they're going to get rid of him throw him in a pit so he can die then they get a better idea might as well make some money out of this so they sell him to some guys who will turn him into a slave in Egypt um so what what do we learn from these three examples what what does it have to do with us I don't think any of us have purposely lied to our parents Not, not lately anyway maybe when we're little um I don't think we have could be accused of a, uh, attempted murder, or human trafficking, or scheming and lying the way Rebecca did. But, you know, the people that gather at an oasis, any oasis, a mega oasis, oasis, or a little one like ours here, ah uh, we have our problems have you been impatient with someone here lately jealous judgmental have you been gri- gossiping been critical have you been ignored left out falsely accused are you trustworthy all the time the people who gather here are sinners. Those are the only kind of people that will come to an oasis because we're all sinners. So this is a place where we need to forgive 70 times 7. We need a lot of grace. We need to be very merciful to one another. And uh, we need to be very welcoming to every seeker, no matter what their Background might be. And remember Joseph's example. Even though he was treated so horribly, he saw what was really happening. Doreen, you have those verses.
1: Mm-hmm. As for you, this is on. as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them.
0: So he was very forgiving and understood God has a plan, even though it can look pretty ugly at times. So point number one about this oasis is don't be surprised if you find sin here. Just uh, try not to and be forgiving. But that's the boat we're in right now. Um, Here's another oasis. This is probably my favorite in John 4, where Jesus was traveling and it was very hot, and he was tired, so he stopped at the well at Sychar. And this lady came for water at noon, and the reason she came at noon was because she wanted to avoid all the other women in town who would be gossiping about her and, you know, making her feel bad because she was a lowly lady. She had been married five times and was with a man now who... Who knows about him? But she hadn't found love. And she was just in really bad shape. And Jesus, who was thirsty, crossed over barriers, lines of religious lines and cultural lines. He should never have talked to a woman who was of a different religion. But he did. And he said, would you give me a drink of water? And as Debbie brought up this morning in prayer meeting, that's one way to honor somebody, to make them realize they have some worth, is to ask them to do a favor for you. And I think when visitors come here, don't be shy about asking them, you know, could you help straighten the chairs out or, you know, some little thing like that help them realize that they have some value. Well, this started a conversation. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. Uh, She was a woman of shame, wanting to avoid other women. And she was surprised that he would talk to her. But listen to some of the things that Jesus said to her. That water, of course, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit that was going to come into those who believe in Jesus. And as we put our trust in Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes. And I think we know what he does inside of us. He produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. He gives us power. He gives us, he, he teaches us, Um, he comforts us and this is the gift that God has for every person if they will accept the gift from God we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit I think maybe if we're not it's because we're filled with ourselves we're uh you know, so confident of our own abilities and our own craftiness that we don't think we need the Holy Spirit. We don't need God. Uh, But if we ask God to empty us, say, God, I want to get out of the way and allow you to fill me with your Spirit and do all these things in me and through me then I think he will fill us. We're encouraged a lot here to study the Word of God. And we've learned it is the sword of the Spirit. And uh, the thought came to me maybe it's come to all of you already, but if it's the sword of the Spirit, then it's not our sword, it's not something we pick up and whip around but it should be the Spirit who is taking the Word of God and doing what He wants to do. Think about that. Jeremiah 2.13 says that we abandon the living water of God which enables us to live the abundant life. Now, I don't know if that's true of you or some of you, but it was true of the people Jeremiah was talking to. That we abandoned the living water of God which enables us to live the abundant life. And instead, we dug our own cisterns. We came up with our own methods and plans which cannot contain the Holy Spirit. So, are we going to walk in the Spirit or walk in our own wisdom? So here's another thing about Oasis. This is not our home. We're on a journey. Some people will stop here for a year or two or 20. But none of us are going to be here forever. All of us are going to leave. Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. He stayed in Ephesus for three years. And then he left. Doreen's got a couple of those scenes when he was saying goodbye. you got that, Acts 21, 4 through 6.
1: And having sought out the disciples... We stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home.
0: And then the other one, from Acts twenty thirty five.
1: In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. 35 through
0: 38. Mm-hmm.
1: And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship.
0: It's sad when people leave. Hopefully when people leave the oasis, they're being guided by the Spirit of God. Some may leave for other reasons, but it's going to happen. That's just one of the realities. Jonathan Edwards said, It becomes us to spend this life only as a journey toward heaven, to which we should subordinate all other concerns of life, Why should we labor for or set our hearts on anything else but that which is our proper end and true happiness? So here we are, sinners at an oasis that is a temporary stopping point for us on our way to our eternal home with God. So what are we doing here? That's the question we're We're thinking about in elder meetings and in uh, the search committee meetings. What are we doing here? How are we doing? And uh, part of the answer is we're a Christ-centered family that wins others to faith in Christ, builds them up, equips them to go make disciples. But what about this I'm wondering if we are winning, building, equipping people to go make disciples. I think that assumes that we're disciples, right? I mean, it'd be good if we were disciples first. So, uh, are we? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God. What is the main focus of your life? What is the main focus of of your life, of my life? Jesus said in John 12, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Ephesians 2.10 says, We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, Which he has prepared in advance for us to do. So, probably we should stop and reflect. Have we taken up our cross? Are we taking up our cross? What is the main focus of our lives? Have we died to self? I like the attitude of Mary when Mary found out she was going to be the mother of God, the mother of the Son of God. You know, that was rather stressful, I think. I mean, it's stressful to be a young woman who's pregnant, right? But what are her parents going to say? What are the neighbors going to say? What is Joseph going to say? That wasn't easy. But she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as as you have said. Or as Jesus said at a very hard time in his life, not my will, but thine be done. So that's uh, a question for us to think about. Are we, to what extent are we disciples? Uh, setting aside our own personal goals and saying, God, whatever you want. We at this oasis, and in fact the entire CMA, stress the Great Commission, take it very seriously, I think. But I want to raise the question this morning, are we as serious about the other commands of God you know what the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and I want you to think this morning especially about loving God with your mind what does that mean how do you do that are we doing it so, Dermene's going to read some verses about our minds.
1: 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Prepare your mind for action. Matthew 16, 23. Jesus said to Peter, You are a hindrance. You are not setting your mind on God. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 8.5 Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and became a servant. Philippians 4, 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Isaiah 26.3 You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you.
0: Boy, I needed that last one this morning because I wasn't feeling so peaceful. But we need to keep our minds on God, our Savior, who loves us. What do you think about most? What do you watch on TV? What do you listen to? What do you watch on your phone? What are you reading that will help you be a better disciple of Jesus? We're supposed to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. Could you write out the hope that's in you? Could you write out an explanation of why you have that hope? What are you doing at 9 o'clock Sunday morning when there's a Bible study right here in this room? What are you doing with your mind? Loving God with your mind. What do we do with the scriptures we learn? I heard, uh, what's his name? Francis Chan, right? Yes. Francis Chan saw him on TV the other day. He said, if I told my daughter to go clean her room, and she came back in half an hour and said, Dad, I did it. I'm all done. I memorized it. Go clean your room. She said, and I got some friends together. We're going to have a small group, and we're going to think about five ways that I could clean my room. And we may even put it up on Facebook. (laughs) But dear, you didn't clean your room. But she memorized the commands. You know, and the problem might be in the church sometimes that we know the commands of God And we discuss them, but do we obey them? Jesus said, he who hears my words and puts them into practice is a wise man. Do we need more wise men at this oasis? We need to hear and obey. Here's another command of Jesus we're familiar with. This is number two in importance. Love your neighbor as yourself. So think about it. If you're hungry, thirsty, lonely, hurting, lost, what would you want somebody to do for you? In Luke 10, we have the familiar story of the man who's laying by the side of the road. He's beaten, he's bloody. And I walk by and look at him and think, Hmm, this is a bloody mess. Bodily fluids. I don't have any gloves. I think I'm just going to keep going to let somebody else take care of him. Or I come along and I see the guy laying there, but I say, this is probably a trap. If I get out and help him, probably four guys will come out of the bushes and steal my car. Or I might drive by and say, I'd love to help this guy, but I'm late now for the elders meeting and we've got to to pick out a new pastor. And so the, the guy that Jesus really, you can tell he really appreciates is the guy who stops, who sets aside his own agenda, who spends his own money and his own time and binds up this guy and takes him to the nearest motel and says, take care of this guy, and if, if there are any more expenses, I'll come back and, and pay you. He got out of his comfort zone, out of his own agenda, and he ministered to the guy. Another thing Francis Chan brought up was when Jesus, you know, Jesus left... I'm talking about saying goodbye. Jesus left, but he said, unless I go, the Holy Spirit can't come, and the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And uh, the question is, why would we need a comforter? Only if you're uncomfortable. But most of us, I do, I love comfort. (laughs) I love to be comfortable it's a lot easier to sit in my car and drive by the guy than it is to get out and do the dirty job of cleaning him up and getting him settled someplace. We need to get out of our comfort zone. Micah 6.8 says, What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Isaiah 117 says, Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Proverbs twenty four eleven says, Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Proverbs twenty nine seven The righteous care about justice for the poor Proverbs thirty one eight to nine speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And I'm bringing up those verses, and it's something that our church needs to stop and ask. Are we taking those verses seriously? Are we doing anything in obedience to those verses? Now, we watch the news, and there are so many needs, right? Right? What should we do about it? You could say, well, maybe we should start a food pantry, or maybe we should start a um, homeless shelter. Maybe we should start one of those uh, recovery groups. But I think the first thing we need to do is pay attention to the nudging of the Holy Spirit when He says, love mercy, be merciful. I've been thinking about Pat Johnson who a long time ago she was in a small group I was a part of <coughs> excuse me and I missed her one day and said where's Pat and they said she's on her way to Iowa she's driving to Iowa now at that time as I recall she had three school age kids I'm sure she had her to-do list but she had seen on the news that a family in Iowa. Their house had burned burned down, but she had decided to take them a carload of clothing. She put her aside her agenda, and she acted in mercy. I know a year or two ago, Doreen and I were following our son and his wife and family. I, I don't know where we were going, maybe to a picnic at a forest preserve. <clears throat> and we're following in our car, and suddenly Joel made a U-turn. So I, I was thinking, well, I guess he missed the, the entrance or something. So driving backwards, but then he made another U-turn. Well, must have missed it again. <laughs> And then they pulled up behind a car that was off on the side of the road. And the family was sitting on the embankment. And as I recall, it was one of those really hot days. And Jenny got out of the car and took them bottles of water. (laughs) That's a big deal to act mercifully when God moves your heart. Uh, and both of those you know, weren't done because, well, maybe they'll become part of Alliance Bible Church. You'll never see those people again. But the uh, command to be merciful isn't tied to, you know, we'll be merciful if you decide to join us. I've been thinking about Moses, I'm almost done. If you think about Moses, his life was sort of in three parts. What is the first little tiny part when he is floating around in the Nile? But then the next 40 years, and then the next 40, and then the last 40. And I think our lives can sort of be divided up that way. I think Nick, you're sort of in the sports car years when you and Lionel, you want to get an education, you want to get a good job, want to save up some money, right, Amanda? Get a car, maybe find a spouse, maybe buy a house, maybe have some babies. That's until you're in your 30s, getting near 40. And then you switch to the minivan years. And now you're (coughs) thinking about taking them to soccer and dance lessons and saving for college and trying to pay the mortgage. (coughs) But you finally make it to, you know, around 60 you're getting your senior discount, your ARP card. Now you're, now you're driving, uh, I don't know, do they still make Lincoln Continentals? Now you're sitting back. Life is good. You're looking forward to swinging in the hammock, having some iced tea, playing bocce ball. Uh, that's sort of the way our lives go, and I'm not saying any of that is bad. Heck, we've been through it all, and it was, uh, it was uh, great fun. And we tried to be good stewards. But if you think about Moses, his first 40 years, he lived in Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's household. He had it good, really good. And then when he got to be 40, I don't know what was in his mind, but he might have said, It's about time i do something in this world. Do something to change the world for the better. And he went out and killed an Egyptian. And the people he was trying to help didn't appreciate it. So he ended up being a, not a refugee, but a, you know, what happens when they're they're going after you and you're running away? Fugitive, that's the word I was looking for. So he's a fugitive. And he runs off. Now he's 40. says, well, I guess I'll just get married, have a couple kids, start doing a little sheep farming. And for the next 40 years, that's what he did. He had a nice, peaceful life. Now, we don't live to 120 like he did, so uh, that, if you divide our lives up, it would be 30, 60, 90 for us. So when he was about he was 80 but when that would be equivalent to our being 60 he saw the light he saw the light and he heard the voice of god saying go take my people out of egypt and take him to the promised land at 80 you know, he thought he was going to retire and just have a nice restful time now. Now remember, that's like when we're 60. And that's when God started to use him. When he was 80. And that was, that was not an easy 40 years. You know, those Israelites gave him a lot of trouble. Well... Look at Abraham. Oh, by the way, here's a song I wanted to share. Anybody know who Peggy Lee is? (laughs) This is the chorus of one of her songs. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that's all there is. but when you look at Moses' life and you say, well, that's not all there is. There's a lot more possible. Abraham, it says in Hebrews 11, lived in tents, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and whose builder is God. See, if we're not looking at this oasis as our home, Where is our home? What is our home? Revelation 21.
1: Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God Neither shall thou be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away.
0: As much as we love Alliance Bible Church, and we want to stay here and make it a good place, a better place, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.1 says, Set your hearts on things above. D.L. Moody said, Soon you will read in the newspaper that I'm dead. Don't believe it for a moment. I will be more alive than ever before. And Mr. Tozer, you're familiar with Mr. Tozer. He's like one of the rocks of Christian Missionary Alliance. He said the church that would include us, is constantly being tempted to accept this world as her home. But if she is wise, she will consider that she stands in the valley between the mountain peaks of eternity past and eternity to come. The past is gone forever, and the present is passing as swift as the shadow on the sundial of Ahaz. Even if the earth should continue a million years, not one of us could stay here to enjoy it. We do well to think of the long tomorrow. C.S. Lewis said, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. God, help us be doers of the word and not hearers only. So you'll get to the parade, okay? I'll get to eat. And take home with you whatever God gave you this morning and meditate on it. And as you leave, I've asked Dave to play a song. I don't know if you know it, but somehow it got into my head this week. So have a blessed day. In Jesus' name, amen.